I invite you to stand for the Gospel reading. The Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 19, beginning on the 28th verse. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 28 to verse 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their clothes on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Please be seated. This morning, I shall, evening, I shall share very briefly with each one of you. I will be sharing briefly on what Palm Sunday is about. And then to share with you, based on the text I've read, three brief mentioned, followed by three questions for you to choose one. So that at the response song, you will use that duration of the song to reflect on that question that later I will share with you. I'm curious about how many of us here have started the land with one or two areas that you want to work on. During every week, I know of one of you, at least now a show of hands, that there is someone among us who have had started this journey. Addressing one area of life, 
that they know they needed God to intervene. And so for 40 days, they have done something to focus on that area of life. So I'm curious, except for one person to show his hand, I wonder how many of us here have done that? The Ten Commandments were read to us almost weekly, and you will be quite familiar with what those Ten Commandments are. And as we come to the end of Lent, we need to ask ourselves, what is that one area in our lives that God has touched us? And what are we going to move forward from now on? Because Palm Sunday is no doubt a celebration, but it is a celebration with something quite uniquely different from any other kinds of celebration. In the reading of this passage from Luke chapter 19, it was actually preceded by another parable, a parable of the Minas, where Jesus, as the landowner, was rejected by the servants that he had. And they were abusing and misusing the entrusted properties of the owner. And so in that parable, Jesus already started by telling the readers, like us today, that he would be a king that would be rejected by his servants. So with that at the back of our mind, we need to appreciate the fact that the way Luke plays the story of the Palm Sunday, but before he did that, he places the story of the parable of the Mina just before that. So as a reader, as we read the Luke's Gospel, we can sense the tone of what the author of this Gospel is trying to tell us. That Jesus has already hinted through the parable that he would be rejected. So with that in mind, as we start on this whole idea of Palm Sunday, with Jesus moving into the very city, his own city, at the very outskirts of the city, he is already experiencing internally that he is or would be the rejected king. So the first point I want to share with you is that Jesus is the rightful owner, despite many people rejecting him. As you will know, next week, during the entire week of the Holy Week, was how Jesus was abused, tortured, and rejected by his own people. So Jesus already knew that he would be rejected. So he is not about to be glory in the admiration of all his disciples, cheering him on, cheering him on. He is grounded as a follower of God, the Son of God, and he knew what is coming to him. And so Jesus was just at the edge of the city. And as he was about to go in, he instructed his disciples to do this, that, and the other, to get a young donkey, you know, to go to this owner and that place, to collect this and collect that. So Jesus already prophetically show his disciples that he could still direct and know the future 
from the present. And I suppose the disciples were so used to it, a miracle worker, they would say. Nothing surprises them, perhaps. But perhaps for us reading the Gospel, we begin to realise that there was beginning a sense of Jesus asserting His Lordship over small things like the donkey, small things like the owner of the donkey. In the original language that was New Testament was written, the word that was read to you as owner of the donkey was in fact the word owner is the word Lord, the same word that was used to describe Jesus. So in other words, the servants will be going to see this other Lord, which is translated as owner of the donkey. So in fact, they'll be telling to this owner, oh Lord, my Lord, tell you as the Lord about this donkey. So of course for easy reading, we would translate Lord and owner. So we differentiate the two as two separate entities. But the original language wouldn't have us do that. The original language would still be putting the word Lord. So that was a bit of confusion, isn't it, as you read it? How come there are two lords here in this passage? But the purpose of Luke is to suggest to us that Jesus is the rightful owner, even of the donkey. And he's the Lord over other lords that own all the cities, the donkeys, the food, the clothes, everything that's in the city. Jesus himself is the rightful owner. In fact, the donkey itself recalls a very similar image from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which pictures the king riding on a donkey. So when we read this passage, we know that in every act of Jesus as he enters the city, is already stressing the fact that he is the rightful owner and the rightful Lord of everything that his people has up to that point. And so the donkey is a symbol of the Lordship of Jesus. So Jesus is the rightful owner of the donkey. So the question for us is, how have we been defined by what we have or by how society shapes us? Simply put, is Jesus the rightful owner of what you have, what you are? So this is something for you and I to, to chew on, to think about. Is Jesus the rightful owner? Secondly, Jesus not only is the rightful owner, he's also a humble king. Verses 35 to 37 describes a king on a donkey. I suppose it should be on a horse, isn't it? A horse is a, you can imagine a horse coming in in glory, in full glory of power, of might. But it was only a donkey. And this Jesus riding on one. And people were praising this Jesus for the miracle that he has performed. So they knew 
of Jesus' miraculous career, if you like, a career full of miracles, a powerful feel, a powerful image, someone great, someone powerful. But as people were praising God, they were using actually a very important passage from Psalm 108, 118, verse 26. That verse is actually an enthronement verse, meaning whenever the king is enthroned, usually people will read Psalm 118 as a way of enthroning the king. So when people were reading that, they already recognised that Jesus is the king of the Jew. Not quite the way Jesus understood himself, but as people at that time, all they wanted, or all we wanted, is a God who can provide all my needs, that can satisfy my wants, my desires. I want a miraculous God, not one who suffers, not one who dies, not even one who cries, who wept, cannot. A powerful person cannot be like that. A power must be very stoic, going through life with might and courage. No tears. Blood, yes. Shed tears, cannot. It just cannot work for us. So again, you can begin to appreciate the fact that Luke has intentionally placed this entire description of Jesus being a humble king, which is very unlike what the people were expecting him to be. The donkey, the fact that Jesus cried when he looked at the city, he, he wept. In fact, in John's Gospel, it's just two words, Jesus wept. And therefore, we begin to ask ourselves, what does it mean for Christians like worshipping a God who cries, who suffers, who bled, who was tortured, tormented? He's a humble king, a king of peace. Here, I'm not saying that we should suffer unnecessarily. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we should subject ourselves to abuse and do nothing about it. That is for another time. But what I'm suggesting to you is that Jesus portrayed a king who is prepared to suffer, in fact, for the sake of his people. Jesus wants to make peace. So as Christians, we need to also reflect upon ourselves. Are we peacemakers? Recently, probably you've heard and read a lot about the Ukraine crisis. Our brother Danny mentioned about Sri Lanka, and there are quite a number of other countries. And I know that the Ukraine, you have the Russian Orthodox Church, who supports the war of uh, Putin, and that anger many people. Because are we not supposed to be peacemaker. Now, I'm not saying or going against anything. I'm not saying any political thing. I'm just saying that Jesus portrays a very different picture of the gospel. 
not a gospel of violence. As Jesus said, I would have called down legions of angels if I need any help, just in case you don't know that. But Jesus went the way of the cross, the way of peace. Matthew chapter 5, that you all are familiar with some parts of it. Blessed are the peacemaker. So when we have dispute, we have disagreement, we have conflict within the life of the church, are we the peacemaker? Or are we the ones that resort to all kinds of manners to have our way known and respected? Thirdly, Jesus is concerned about the city of Jerusalem. After all, it is his own country, his own city. And interestingly, in verse 40, 40, the use of the stones was mentioned. And this actually brought back a very important passage from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. And in that Habakkuk passage, it was a time when Jerusalem was severely defeated. And the fact that Jesus mentioned about the stone as he enters Jerusalem is to remind those people who are there that Jerusalem had been defeated once. And stones were mentioned in their Old Testament scripture as a way of saying that these entire cities were devastated until there were just stones left. Like pictures in Ukraine that you have seen in photos and televisions. All you see are just bricks, stones. There's nothing there. Buildings are destroyed. Human life are completely gone. The whole soul of the, of the city is finished. And all you see are just stones and nothing there. And that's the kind of picture that one can imagine that Jesus is using that as it were to provoke and trigger the imagination of the people that Jerusalem had once been in a very bad state before. And so when Jesus uses the word stone to describe that even these stones will cry out, it's a way of telling the people and also warning them, the worst is yet to come. If you do not change your ways, if you do not amend your ways, if you do not go the way of the Lord. And obviously it didn't, because historically we know that 70 years later, Jerusalem was completely sacked by the Romans. So you can see that Jesus was weeping, he was crying, he was very concerned deeply for his people, longing for his people to change their ways and turn their ways back to God. But like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, repeated and persistent Moses and Aaron, one after another, miracle after another, did not knock Pharaoh off his throne. He still insists and persists to the very end until he himself and, of course, his firstborn was taken away from him. Similarly, like the people welcoming Jesus, who were so praising God because Jesus is the miracle worker. But how do we know? Just as Pharaoh have seen such amazing, miraculous deliverance of God, even him did not bend his will 
to the ways of God. So how sure are we to say that these people who worship God because the miraculous God necessarily will change their ways? Maybe they didn't. Perhaps a few of them did. I don't know. But destruction did come onto the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. So it appears that the past didn't quite help the people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul reminds us to remember our past, to remember how we were and what we were before we were saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. So remembering our past mistake is not a bad thing, as opposed to what some positive psychology may want to tell us. Think positively, be positive, be positive. Not wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But it meets a very crucial point, which is our Christian understanding of the need for repentance. That's how our service always have this part of repenting. That means no, no matter how happy we want to be, there are still some part of us that God still needs to work on. So, these three points. Jesus is the rightful owner. The question to you and to me is, is Jesus your and my rightful owner? Secondly, Jesus is a humble king, a peaceful king. Are you and I a person of peace, a peacemaker? Thirdly, Jesus is concerned with the city. So do you and I repeat our past mistakes again and again in a recurring way? Or have you and I learned from our past and grow from the present into the future? So these are the three questions that I'll let you just choose one. Is Jesus your rightful owner? Secondly, are you a person of peace? Thirdly, have we learned from our mistake? And before we play the video, I would like to read the lyrics to you, and I've asked uh, them to show the lyrics up there. You don't have to sing the song. The song will be sung for you in the video. But just have that one of the three questions at the back of your mind. And let me just read this. Beyond the days of hope and mystery, we see a light of faith renewed. And in our longing, we thirst for guidance to walk with you day by day. Forty days and nights, you guide the steps of our journey. May your presence be felt in the whisper of your voice. We go to the next answer. Not on bread alone are we to walk on this journey. Speak the words that give life to the yearnings of our hearts. In your hands, O oh God, we feel the touch of your guidance. Keep us safe in your care. May your gentleness be there. On our lantern path, we see the dawn of a new day. Be our vision of hope. Be the promise of our lives. All right. So we'll play the, the video. The words won't be shown already. But I hope the three questions will guide us. Can you push up the volume, please? 
Gentle.